0: We have officially made it. We didn't get all 110 Big East games in this year. But 96, I would say is not bad. Which is 87%, which is pretty solid. Some teams were able to get all 20 in, Butler and Creighton. Other teams... Not so much. Xavier just 13 games. Villanova and DePaul each with 15. Georgetown with 16. But, hey, we finally made it. That's an accomplishment in itself. And the next stop on this winding road of a season, it all leads to Madison Square Garden. The Big East tournament starts Wednesday. This is March. And the March Marathon on the Igloo starts now. Welcome inside the Igloo. Finally made it, like I said. Doesn't it feel relieving to finally get here? But at the same time, does it feel a little eerie because of exactly what was happening a year ago? A year ago today, the last Big East regular season games were played. And for six of the ten Big East teams, actually technically five, that would be the last basketball they would play the whole season. Creighton only got a half in against St. John's in the Big East tournament quarterfinal a year ago. DePaul, Georgetown, St. John's and Xavier each were in the first round last year, and then the other five the other half of the league. Providence, Butler, Villanova, Seton Hall, and Marquette, they had their seasons end a year ago today, but obviously they didn't know it at the time. But moving forward to now, a year later, the fact that we're even here with the ability to play the Big East Tournament should speak volumes. We should be grateful that we finally got through the regular season in one piece. It was, it's been a long ride with plenty of bumps in the road with several teams, actually every Big East team really, being affected by COVID at one point or another during the season. So at at the end of the day, when all said and done, we just all have to come together and realize, okay, we finally made this through together. And now, the only hurdle we have left to clear before March Madness is this conference tournament. We can do it. And I think it should be applauded that we even got here. Uh, Granted, I kind of wish the Biggies was able to find a way to make up more games throughout the year, you know, January and, you know, a little bit into February. But at the end of the day, you know, the fact that they got as many games in as they could, you know, you you can't knock it, and nor can you really blame uh, the front office for struggling to reshuffle the schedule to accommodate here in this pandemic. So I also want to give props to Val Ackerman, Stu Jackson, every one of the Big East offices for getting through this season in one piece. And now we get just get to hopefully just sit back and enjoy the Big East tournament. And I hope all of you that are listening will echo the same sentiment. So let's let's get right into it. Let's talk about what happened on the final day of the regular season. Uh starting at noon on CBS, Georgetown Yukon, the Huskies playing uh, Basically, they didn't really have much to play for other than their tournament hopes. They already locked up the number three seed in the Big East tournament, but a win would all but confirm an NCAA tournament bid, which would be the first for the Huskies in five years. And UConn, they started hot, and after leading 9-0, they would not look back. They dominated most of this game, they led by as many as 29 and never let Georgetown lead. UConn wins 98 82. I mean, the great news I mean, they led 51 24 at the break, but they did allow 58 second half points to the Hoyas. So, what was a one sided affair, Georgetown was able to cut into it a little bit. And, you know, their offense just came alive in the second half again with 58 points. But in a track meet, UConn wins 98-82, which is a far cry from what happened earlier in the season in Washington, D.C., which is actually only about a week and a half ago. James Booknight, brilliant. 21 points, three boards, a couple of assists, eight for 12 from the field, five of nine from three. You actually had three other starters and then two players off the bench scoring in double figures. Isaiah Whaley with 11 points, 5 of 5 from the field, 1 for 1 from behind the arc. Tyrese Martin also with 11 points. Adama Sanogo, a double-double, 10 points, 10 rebounds in 20 minutes. And then Tyler Polley with 11 off the bench, 3 for 9 from 3. That, that's where all his shots came from, but the real star off the bench in just 23 minutes, Jalen Gaffney, a perfect 6 for 6 from the floor, 3 for 3 from behind the arc, and finished with 15 points in just 23 minutes. Josh Carlton with seven. Brendan Adams, in his first action in a long time, had two points. Andre Jackson with only one point. And then how about the little-used Richie Springs scoring in garbage time? For Georgetown, Javon Blair came off the bench, scored 22 points. Six for nine from the floor, four for five from three. Kudis Wahab, 16 points, 7 rebounds on 7 of 11 from the floor. Chudier Belay went perfect from 3 at 3 for 3 and went 4 for 6 from the floor, finished with 15 points. Jamarco Piggott with just 8. Dante Harris with 4 points and 6 assists, but he went just 2 for 11 from the floor. Donald Carey with just 2 points. Meanwhile, getting some unexpected contribution from Colin Holloway, the freshman with 7 points in 6 minutes. Kobe Clark with a with a three points in three minutes, Timothy Egohefe with two points, and TJ Berger knocked down a three. UConn, by the way, 59 percent from the floor, and for the most part, they dominated on the glass, 35 to 26. And they also assisted; they actually doubled up Georgetown in the assist column, 22 to 11. So UConn. Eleven and six in the Big East in their first year back, and again, they are pretty much a lock to make the NCAA tournament. One of three teams that from the Big East that you could tell are locks and teams that are undoubtedly teams you're going to see in the NCAA tournament. Georgetown, on the other hand, they finish 7-9 and nine in league play. 2-30 on Fox. Villanova dealing in their first full game without Colin Gillespie, and you could tell they were affected right away. Providence got out to an early lead and led by 17 at the break, 38-21. to And to make matters worse, in the first half, Justin Moore went down with an injury. He would not return as he was in a boot after an ankle injury. But in the second half, Villanova's defense hunkered down, and Jermaine Samuels went to work. He finished with 21 points and eight rebounds on seven of 11 shooting, and was able to will Villanova back into the ball game. As a matter of fact, after trailing by as many as 20, the Wildcats actually jumped ahead, 50 to 49, on a Samuels. On a Samuels layup. But Providence, and with the score tied at 52 after a free throw by Jermaine Samuels, it would be a game-winning tip-in. First tip by Nate Watson and then by David Duke, which was part of his team high 20 points. Providence, they escape with a 54-52 win. It was a rock fight. Let's put it that way. And in an interesting move... David Duke played the point in this game. 20 points, 7 rebounds, and 3 assists. 8 for 21 from the floor, 3 for 10 from behind the arc. Watson also with 20 points, 8 for 13 shooting. Noah Horkler with 10 points and 13 rebounds. A.J. Reeves with just 2 points. And then Jared Bynum with 2 in 29 minutes off the bench as Greg Gant, who started at the 3, 21 minutes did not score. So, again, Providence, 40 of their 54 points came from their Batman and Robin combo, Duke and Watson. And for Villanova, Justin Moore only played 12 minutes before going down with that injury and did not score. Samuels with 21 to lead the way for the Wildcats. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, 11 points and 13 rebounds. Cole Swider started and knocked down a 3 Caleb Daniels was just 1 for 8 from the floor, 1 of 3 from distance, finished with 7 points. Eric Dixon with 3 points, Brandon Slater with 4. Brian Antoine knocked down a 3, and it's kind of crazy that because of the limited guard depth, Chris Arcidiacono, yes, the younger brother of Villanova legend Ryan, had to play significant minutes, didn't make a shot, but his defense was solid in 25 minutes. But kind of what did Villanova in, 14 for 23 from the free-throw line, a bit of an uncharacteristic performance. Providence wasn't that great either at just 5 for 9. But Villanova's three-point shooting, when they don't shoot it well, they're doomed. 4 for 18 from 3 and just 17 for 52 from the floor. Providence, not that much better. 40% from the floor, 25% from 3, but Providence. They get their second win in the last three, and, you know, after a bit of a rocky start where they were 5-8, and eight, they end up winning four of their final six, finishing 9-10 and 10 in conference. They win 54-52. Now, in the first game for Creighton at home since the Greg McDermott suspension, a bit of a powerful pregame message that was shown on the Jumbotron with Christian Bishop, Sharif Mitchell, Denzel Mahoney, Antoine Jones, and Damian Jefferson speaking up against racism and basically addressing the whole situation. And also credit Marcus Zagorowski, who unprompted uh, took the mic and said, we acknowledge that what Coach McDermott did hurt us, but... We also view him as a mentor, and we know that is uncharacteristic of him to say. And we will support him, but at the same time, we have to acknowledge that his words did impact us and hurt us. And what did Marcus Zigarowski do? He responded with his biggest game of the season, killing Butler again in Omaha for the second year in a row. Last year, he was 7-for-7 from three. This time, 5-for-7 from three, 10-for-12 from the floor finish with 32 points. A season high to lead Creighton to a 93-73 romp. Damian Jefferson on senior day, 12 points. Mitch Ballack on his senior day, just nine. Denzel Mahoney came alive with 15. And then Christian Bishop with a double-double, 10 points, 10 rebounds. Ryan Kalkbrenner with seven points off the bench. Sharif Mitchell with four Alex O'Connell with a couple points, and then the little-used Sammy Osmani also scored in this game. Meanwhile, for Butler, it was really Chuck Harris's team yesterday. 29 points, 10 for 18 from the floor, 3 for 8 from 3. Bryce Golden had 19 8 of 11 from the floor, knocked down a 3 as well. Bryce Enzi with just 6 points and limited to 11 minutes. He did go down hurt, though, which was really unfortunate for the senior from Heartland, Wisconsin. Miles Tate with just 11 points. Jair Bolden with just 7. 2 for 11 from the floor, 1 for 7 from 3. And again, Butler was without Aaron Thompson. And then only one bench point, and that came from John Michael Malloy. So, Butler, they finish 8 12 in conference, while Creighton, they finish 14 6. Again, these were the only two teams that were able to play all 20 of their scheduled conference games, so kudos to them. On FS1, Scene Hall, St. John's, Scene Hall, Looked early like they were going to shake off the rough stretch that they've been on, where they entered losing three in a row, and they started off hot, taking an 18 to nothing lead. But St. John's, little by little, they clawed their way back, and at halftime it was a 10 point game. But St. John's, again, they chipped away and chipped away. And once they took their first lead of the game at 47-46, it was pretty much night-night from there. And when it comes to that, you could tell, once St. John's took the lead, it was over because Seton Hall at that point, they just checked out. And, if I'm being totally honest, it was like 2015 all over again. In terms of how quickly these guys just gave up on themselves. Like, when faced with the littlest of adversity, instead of facing it head on, they run away from it. And tournament teams don't do that. And Hall Hall's not a tournament team because of how they played the last four games and how they've handled these final four games. You know, two and a half weeks ago, this team was ten and five in conference. They look like a lock to make it. Their odds of making it were over 80%. But, again, they shoot themselves in the foot. A lot of it has to do with the lack of discipline on the players. I'm not really sure how much of that is a reflection on Kevin Willard. But the big difference is that last year, Seton Hall, out of their 13 conference wins, almost half of them came when they were trailing at the break. And out of those, they actually had back-to-back wins at Butler and St. John's where they were down double digits, and they came back and won. In the last few games, it's been like the opposite, where Seton Hall starts off fine, and then they just fall apart in the second half. And they fell apart in the second half. Not only did they lose, they lost by double digits. St. John's wins 81-71, and St. John's, with that win, they clinch a first-round bye and a winning record in Biggies play at 10-9. Seton Hall also finished 10-9, but because of a tiebreaker, St. John's guessed it over Seton Hall because the Red Storm have that big win over Nova, who is the top seed, and literally that's how the tiebreaker goes. Julian Champagny. 22 points, six boards to lead the way for the Red Storm, 11 points for Greg Williams. He also had five rebounds and five assists, and so did Rasheem Dunn to go along with seven points. Vince Cole had eight. Arnaldo Toro, who got the start, did not score on his senior day. Marcellus Erlington, 18 minutes, 12 points. All of his points came from behind the arc and shot four for six from three. Dylan Adaiwusu was great as well with 14 points. Josh Roberts with 4. And John McGriff knocked down a 3 as well in 14 minutes. And McGriff provided some major... You know, if he provided a major spark plug off the bench with his defense. Meanwhile, Seton Hall. Mamu with 15 points and 10 rebounds. 6 for 13 from the floor. 1 of 4 from 3. They shot just 40.7% from the field, just 31.8% from 3. St. John's just ripped the nets apart in the second half shooting 51.8% on the game, 45.5% from 3. And after starting off being down 13 to 2 in the rebounding department, St. John's wins the battle on the boards 33-32. Meanwhile, Iko Biaga with 9 points, 7 rebounds and A very unusual three assists. 10.7 boards for Jared Roden, but he went 0 for 5 from 3, 2 for 11 from the floor. Roden hasn't looked like himself the last three weeks. He needs to tap into that dominant, you know, backup option behind Mamu. Because, let's be real, Batman can't be as effective without his Robin. And Robin, in this case, for Seton Hall's Jared Roden, he's been MIA. Shavar Reynolds with 13 points, 5 for 8 from the floor, made his only 3-point attempt. Miles Kale, rough night for him, 8 points, 3 for 9 from the floor, 2 for 6 from 3. And then Tyree Samuel with just 4 points. Bryce Aiken, not a bad night for him, 10 points, 3 for 7 from the floor, 3 for 5 from 3. call Molson with just 2 points. And, you know... If you're seeing Hall, you got you just gotta be embarrassed for the way you finish the season. You know, with that ten and five conference record after beating DePaul, you would think that, okay, if they win just two of four down the stretch, they'll be in safely. But they can't even win one. As DJ Khaled said, congratulations. You played yourself. And now they have played themselves into a situation where They have to win the Big East Tournament in order to get in. No ifs, ands, or buts. And then finally, Xavier Marquette. Xavier knew they had to win this one too. They are barely in the field. Probably one of the last four in. Heading into last night. And Marquette, who has been playing awfully well as of late, had come in winning three of their last four. All on the road, by the way. And... They smother Xavier defensively. Xavier made a bit of a late charge. They actually tied it at 38, but Marquette does just enough to put Xavier away, winning 66-59. 16 points for D.J. Carden, which was a team high. 13 points for Jamal Cain on his senior day. 11 points for Dawson Garcia. 6 points from Theo John. 4 points from Kobe McEwen. Off the bench, Greg Elliott was masterful. 19 minutes, 12 points, 5 for 6 from the field, 2 for 3 from behind the arc. Samir Torrance had 2 points, and so did Justin Lewis. As a team, Marquette shot 51%, but just 28.6% from three. And you could tell Xavier, their inability to shoot the three at just 4 for 24. You could tell how much they missed Nate Johnson and his marksmanship. And they shot just 40.4% from the floor. Paul Scruggs, 18 points, but he went 0 for 5 from 3, 6 boards and 3 assists. CJ Welcher got the start and actually scored uh, 10 points in 32 minutes. Tawan Odom with 5 points and 3 assists in 19 minutes. Colby Jones had just 2 points, all from the charity stripe. He went 0 for 6 from the field, 0 for 2 from from behind the arc. Zach Fremantle was limited to just 8 points and 6 rebounds in 29 minutes. 3 for 9 from the floor, 1 for 3 from behind the arc. Brian Griffin with 3 points in just 9 minutes. Kiki Tandy, only 2 points in 6 minutes. And Adam Kunkel off the bench, where he's actually looked better in that role. 25 minutes, 11 points, but he went just 1 for 7 from behind the arc. So Marquette, they hand Xavier a loss that could break their NCAA tournament hopes. And now Xavier is probably looking at the Big East tournament thinking, well now we have to win probably 2 games in order to be safely in the tournament. So, your seeds will go as follows after these results. Villanova, your 1 seed. Creighton, 2. UConn, 3. St. John's, 4. Seton Hall, 5. They are your five buys. Providence, your 6 seed. Xavier, your 7 seed. Georgetown, 8. Marquette, 9. Butler, 10. DePaul, 11. So, first round matchups Wednesday. It'll be Marquette, Georgetown at 3. Butler Xavier at 6, and DePaul Providence at 9. The winners of those games, respectively, they'll face Villanova, Creighton, and UConn. (coughs) So, excuse me. While the Big East Tournament, it'll be a few days away, I'll break down the bracket later on this week, make my predictions for the entire tournament. But as the bracket actually goes on, You know, day by day, uh, you know, I'll change up my predictions uh, based on how the bracket goes. So, coming up next, an interview with Sean McDermott, uh, first player I'm getting to interview who graduated last year and was unfortunately stripped of an opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament and with how good Butler was at the end of last year and how good they were. Throughout the year, even throughout their struggles in Big E's play after that hot 12-1 and start, actually they were 15-1 at one point and ranked 5th in the country, uh, he's going to sit down with me to talk about his Butler career, um, what he remembers from the end of last season, the tragic end, to last season, of course. Now he's in the G League bubble with the Memphis Hustle, and he's going to talk to me about what life is like in the bubble at Disney World. Uh, So that is coming up next, a big start to the March Marathon here today, so don't go anywhere. Welcome back inside the Igloo. The March Marathon kicks off with a blockbuster interview as joining me now, uh, a member of the Butler Bulldogs from 2015 all the way until this past season, a guy who made some waves uh, coming out of Butler and making the Memphis Grizzlies roster, and now he is with – Memphis's G-league team the hustle down in the bubble in uh, in Central Florida um, on the Disney World campus uh, so joining me now is Sean McDermott uh, Sean I know there's a bit of a spur of the moment thing but hey it's really good to have you on the Eagleman man
1: yeah thanks for having me
0: so uh, first and foremost I think so many people have been wondering what life is like inside the bubble I know the NBA did it um, last summer into the fall uh now it's being done with the g league uh so uh give us some insight as to what life is like uh for you inside the g league bubble
1: yeah it's, it's interesting that you bring that up I, I was i've gotten both perspectives now as a fan uh, watching the nba playoffs last year in the bubble and now actually being here myself um in the g league bubble um i've only been here for two weeks so i haven't gotten the, f- the full extent of it like some other guys but um it's really just basketball all the time. I mean, you play your games and then you're kind of in your hotel room or grabbing some food, but that's kind of the extent of it. So you don't have too many other things to focus on, too many other things to think about other than just hoops and getting better and developing. And that's what we're all here for is everybody that's here is trying to reach a common goal of getting in the NBA and sticking in the NBA. So um, everybody here has a developmental mindset and that's how you have to approach it.
0: Yeah. And I I genuinely feel like it's, Different, but also better for you, given that if you you know it when you're in college, you have to focus on way more than just the game of basketball, you got to focus on classes and some extracurricular stuff. But you know, where you are, it's literally just eat, sleep, hoops,
1: exactly. Yeah, that's that's the way I like it.
0: So, uh, your journey to get to Butler, you you mean you're a kid from the Hoosier State, you're from Anderson, so Mm -hmm. ultimately. What was the decision like for you to ultimately decide on staying in your home state and uh, playing uh, for then head coach Chris Holtman at Butler?
1: Yeah, it was a pretty easy decision for me, honestly. Um, Like you said, growing up in Indiana, um, I'm a family guy, so I wanted to be close to family. Um, But ultimately, watching the 2010-2011 National Championship runs by Butler kind of made me fall in love with the style of play that they had. Um, I got to watch Kellen Dunham go from Pendleton Heights, which is where I went to high school my last three years, on Butler. Um, so I kind of followed in his footsteps, but got to see um, how much he, he loved Butler and, and how he fit into the system. Um, and I was a pretty similar player. So uh, I thought I would fit pretty similarly to him. And um, I ended up, think, I think I kind of did that, but uh, ultimately it was an easy decision for me. Just the way Butler plays, um, the Butler way is kind of the same values that I have as, a, as an individual. Um, everything about it just seems so right for me.
0: So during your retro year, you know, you actually got to be around Kellen Dunham and, and Roosevelt Jones too. Uh, mm-hmm. How instrumental were they for you when dur- during the year in which you couldn't play uh, during your retro year? Uh, how instrumental were they uh, in your development, um, you know, essentially gearing up for your first year, the following year.
1: Yeah. I don't think I'd be the same player that I am without getting to watch those two and the way they approach it, obviously different players, but they approach basketball the same way. They, they loved it. Um, it, it was their passion. It was what they wanted to do. And both obviously were very good basketball players. Um, and they didn't let things outside of that distract them. So they stayed locked in. Um, and I got to learn a lot from those two my first year. Um, and then also just matching up with them, obviously being uh, the same position as those two, I got to to match up with them in practice, have them guard me, me guard them. And and I learned pretty quickly that I wasn't the player that I needed to be. Um, but that was a big thing for me was to realize that I had a long way to go. Um, and I just had to work on my game that first year. So,
0: you know, going into your official first year of action, uh, your team didn't really have a lot of expectations yet. You kind of burst onto the scene uh, starting off 11 and one. And then of course the big signature, when you got early on that season in the second week of conference play, taking down the defending national champs, number one Villanova on mm-hmm. your home court. Uh, was that really the game that kind of like cemented to you? Like, okay, Hickel magic is now that I have a front row seat for it. It's as real as it gets.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I think there was, I mean, every game at Hinkle's special, but taking down Villanova when they were number one um, was special. And then I think we actually beat them on the road that year too when they were, I don't know if they were number one at the time, but they were pretty high up there. But it's a special place to play basketball. And, yeah, that I mean, that was kind of the one that stood out to start all – the, the kind of runs that we went on um, and, and actually that year, Kamar Baldwin hit a shot against Northwestern to start the year that um, as a freshman, he hits a game winner, uh, an- another moment in Hinkle magic uh, and another moment for Kamar and his legacy.
0: Yeah. And, you know, is it crazy to think, you know, I was just crunching the numbers, you know, and that includes this year. Since realignment, your 2017 squad is the only team to beat Villanova at the pavilion. Is that yeah. crazy to think about?
1: Yeah, it is. I, that was the first time their senior class had lost a game in the pavilion um, on senior day. So it was kind of a, a special win for us to go in there and kind of ruin their night.
0: Yeah, in Big E's play, again, since 2013-14, that includes this year, they are 40-1 and one in that building. And you you guys were the only one to hand them an L. So yeah. I I, I got to give you props on that. I As someone who was from Seton Hall and had to deal with the bitterness of dealing with villanova and everything you guys did us a major favor so i will always appreciate you guys for that so um after a bit of a disappointing end to the season you know losing at home to seton hall and then losing to xavier in the biggies tournament you know you guys ultimately turned it around in the ncaa tournament uh what ultimately attributed to you guys advancing to the sweet 16 against some pretty underrated mid majors in the form of Winthrop and then middle Tennessee.
1: Yeah, I think it was, it's kind of gets to that point in the year where if you don't play well, you're done. Um, And I think a a flip kind of switches in guys heads at that point, like for seniors, especially this could be my last basketball game. Um, Unless they're going to go play professionally, this could be my last game ever. So um, you kind of have to check yourself and, and move on. You got to forget everything that happened in the regular season in the conference tournament um, and move on because none of that stuff matters anymore. Uh, the only thing that matters. Like, uh, beating Winthrop the first game and then middle Tennessee was, I think this was their second year where they had, had kind of made runs in the NCAA tournament the year before beating Michigan state. Um, so they, they were a, a well-known team, a very good team with, really, really good players, um, and that was a big win, and then we just ran into a North Carolina team in the Sweet 16 that was better than us, honestly.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, do you, I feel like you got to have some solace, you know, knowing that you guys ended up losing to the eventual national champs.
1: Yeah, for sure. They're, they're a great team, and they played really well. They have great, great players, NBA players that were making big shots, making big plays, and, and they were a team that deserved to win and, and eventually win the national championship. So, you know,
0: Obviously with all of that success, you know, Chris Holtman was tremendous in his three years as the head coach at Butler. And it was, he was enough of a commodity for big time program to scoop him up. That happened to be Ohio state that off season. So going into your sophomore season, uh, how much of an adjustment was there for you to make under a new head coach uh, and a Butler guy though, which must've helped in the form of LaValle Jordan.
1: Yeah, first of all, I mean, I just think Coach Holman is a really good coach. That staff was a really, really good staff. Um, Obviously, they're doing extremely well at Ohio State, so it wasn't just like a one-time thing. Um, He's done well at three schools now, Um, and he's doing really well at a Big Ten school and and leading them, them into an NCAA tournament where they could, I think, make a lot of noise. So first, a lot of credit to them. They're a great coaching staff. But then I think Coach Val came in, and things honestly didn't change too much. It's Butler kind of remains Butler through all of it, whether it's Coach Holtman or, or Coach Jordan there. It doesn't really matter. It's, you stick to the core Butler principles and play the same way. Defense first, um, we're going to be a hard-nosed team that's going to fight every possession. And then offensively, there are some minor tweaks, but um, nothing too drastic. So another really good coaching staff came in, and we just kind of moved on. Um, and you of course you struggle with it because that was a a coaching staff that I was with for two years. I had really gotten to know them. Um, But then these other guys came in and obviously we had some guys that were still a part of the the staff that were part of both staffs and you get some new guys, but like I said, Butler's Butler and you kind of just move on and, and play basketball.
0: So that first week of conference play to end, you know, the month of December was just absolutely bewildering. And it started at Georgetown, a game you got down, 18 at the break and yet you just push to the metal and you end up tying it and sending it into overtime. And you're the one who forced overtime. Uh, it was a bit of a helter skelter kind of scenario where Kamar put up uh, a three pointer that would have won the game, but you come in basically out of nowhere to tip <laughs> it in and force overtime. Uh, tell me what you were seeing and, you know, the anticipation of a potential missed shot on that.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, What happened, I think we fouled Marcus Derrickson and and one maybe, Um, and then he stepped to the line and hit the free throw to put him up. And Kamar came down, I took the ball out of bounds, Kamar came down, Um, Kamar takes big shots, that's what he does. So I was expecting him to take it and I just wanted to put myself in a position where if the ball came off the rim, I had an opportunity to tip it in. I didn't know if there would be time for a tip, but I didn't want to stand at the three point line and just hope that he made it. So I got in there and, and got the tip and we moved on and into overtime, like you said, and uh, Keelan and ended up making a big play, hitting a floater to win it for us.
0: Yeah. And that was in the second overtime, you know, like that was the first biggies game of the year. And you know, you could probably argue that was biggies game of the year as a Mm -hmm. whole. Uh, And then three days later, you come back home, you get Villanova again, and it was just a three point barrage. I I feel like, you guys must have gotten the sense, like, okay, we're not losing today. When Paul Jorgensen decided to pull up from Muncie yeah. to get the crowd going,
1: yeah, yeah. Talk to Paul now; he still talks about that shot. So
0: I, I would too. I don't blame him.
1: <laughs> yeah, that live. I mean that that'll live again. That's another play that'll live forever in Butler history. In um, a very exciting game. That, but this tells you how good Villanova is that we talk about these big wins against them because. If they were just an average team, those wins wouldn't be as big a deal, but they're a huge deal because of how good they are. So their program deserves a lot of credit. But yeah, I mean, we had to score 101 points to beat them. Um, So that tells you again how good they were. So that was was a special game. Um, It's a good thing we shot the ball like we did because I think we gave up 93 points in that game. So Mm -hmm. good thing we shot the ball like we did.
0: Yeah. And I think overall your evolution as a player, you know, you really took major strides as a sophomore, you know, you made several big plays, the Georgetown game, an example, and then you went off, you know, to lead a a last minute comeback to force overtime at home against Xavier's. um, Mm -hmm. And like, I think he hit like two threes in the course of that final minute that got you guys back in the position to force the final uh, another five minutes of play. Overall, I mean, I feel like you must have just taken a major step in your game that season. So um, what what went into that, you know, taking that next step?
1: Uh, just a, a lot of time in the gym in the summer, in the offseason. Um, and the coaches gave me a lot of confidence. They really trusted in me. Um, I, I was playing really well um, to, to start the season and then got hurt um, and ended up missing some time, but I, I had a stretch at the beginning of the season where I was playing really well and felt really good on the court, um, got hurt, and then had to kind of make my way back um, and, and find my spot in the rotation again and and get comfortable. So that season didn't go exactly how I wanted personally, but I think just the work that I put in in the off season with the coaches and with my teammates and then the confidence that all of them had in me was was what made me believe that I could be a better player. And then ultimately led to me playing better that season.
0: Yeah. And, and it led to, you know, you guys were picked to finish eighth in the biggies preseason poll. You exceed expectations, sixth place finish. And you finally, after four years of failing to win one in the biggest tournament, you finally get over the hump beating Seton hall uh, mm. in the garden. Uh, take me back to just the emotions that because he went from like, the lowest of lows to the highest of highs within the matter of like minutes in real time with Kadeem putting him ahead with a three-point play. And then on the other end, uh, Tyler Weidman, your senior big man putting in the tip in that won you the game.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. And then Miles Powell came down and almost hit a shot to beat us. So uh, that would have, that would have been a heartbreaker, but yeah, like you said, getting, they got the and one, I think is what happened. Right. And then he hit the free throw. Um, and then we came down and, and Tyler put it back in and that just that's just basketball. The emotions can fluctuate. Feelings can fluctuate, um, but you have to stay locked in. And that's that's what our guys did. We moved on after a tough play um, and, and Tyler put it back in and we got our first win. And, and we were excited to get that win, but we knew we, we had a tough challenge coming up next. And we kind of got our butts handed to us in the next game.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to really go into, all I know is I think Nova started on like a 19 to nothing run
1: and 19, nothing. And then they were in the, uh, I remember Eric Pascal at one point said, step on their necks. And that's when I knew it was going to be a, an ugly one for us.
0: I feel like Eric, like he's, I bet he's a really fun loving dude, but like on the court, I would be scared shaking in my boots on the opposite <laughs> side of him.
1: He's a competitor. He's a really, really good basketball player and a competitor. I think all those Villanova guys are, that's what makes them special. But yeah, I mean, when you hear that and you're already down, we were probably down 13, nothing at the point when he said that 15, nothing. And it was kind of like, okay, we're not beating them tonight. They're on another level and, and they won the national championship that year, that year. So they were on another level.
0: Yeah. And I mean, to your, to your point also, I mean, obviously you got to shake that off. You go into the NCAA tournament and you kind of lay out a similar beatdown down uh, against Arkansas and then you hung, you hung tough against Purdue in a bit of a Hoosier State rivalry, but taking place, you know, up in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that was just another really difficult game to get by. But uh, obviously, you know, halfway through your college career, you know, you still have a Sweet 16 appearance, a Round of 32 appearance. You finally got a Big East tournament win, uh, mm-hmm. but ultimately, you know, 2019 didn't really treat you guys as well. Um, uh you know without going into that much detail like what kind of led you guys to like you know kind of like falling short of what you guys were expecting uh to do that season uh given you know Kamar was a junior now and and so were you uh and ultimately just falling short of you know what you guys thought you could do uh you know finishing you know towards the bottom of the, of the table in the league
1: yeah no we went 16 and 17 um and that to be at Butler and have a losing season is not acceptable. Um, and obviously in my time there, we hadn't missed the NCAA tournament. Um, it had been like five years since Butler had missed the NCAA tournament. Um, it was just a rough year. I mean, I, we had a good team. Our team was pretty similar to what we had last year. Um, I, there were just some things defensively, we weren't great. Um, we had to lock back in last off season um, defensively. Uh, offensively, we had our struggles. Um, I, th- I think just all around, we we didn't play as well as we could have and should have. So um, that was on us as the players, and and we had to lock back in the next offseason.
0: Yeah, and you really did, again, uh, this time, like two years before that, where you guys were picked to finish eighth in the league. I felt like you guys must have felt like you had something to prove uh, going into the 2019-20 season. It just seemed like win after win especially with kamar making some of the big plays that he did like in mm-hmm. kansas city against i believe it was stanford he had the game when he shot um mm-hmm. you guys just really you know talk about the point of being locked in those that that first m- two months of the season really even with a loss to baylor you guys were about as locked in as you can get
1: yeah no i in the off season i remember talking to i think it was my mom and i said we can win a national championship. And I'm sure if I would have told anybody that they would have been like, you're crazy. We were picked to finish eighth in the Big East. We had just come off a 16 and 17 season. Our roster really didn't change that much. Um, But I I remember saying that in the off season, this team can win the national championship. And we started off the season and proved that we could be contenders, got up to fifth in the country. Um, But ultimately I think it was just the off season Uh, We locked back in. We focused. We took one week off after the 16 and 17 season, um, took one week off, and then we all got right back in the gym. Nobody messed around. uh, Nobody took a rep off in the weight room. Uh, Conditioning was great Um, offensively and defensively. The coaches had us in a great spot, and then they gave me, Aaron Thompson, Henry Badley, and Kamar Baldwin a lot of room to lead the team, and, and guys listened to us and bought in, and Um, I think our whole just team dynamic changed and I think we had a really good team. We had some struggles in Biggie's play, um, but I think we could have gotten into the tournament and and made some noise and shocked some people. Yeah,
0: no, I totally agree with you. I mean, I definitely had you guys, you know, had things played out, I think you guys would have been a five seed. That that just, my personal estimation, that's still, you know, top 20 team in the country, you know, when all is said and done. Uh, But, you know, in Biggie's play, you know, certain guys needed to step up, you know, in certain spots. And obviously the guy for you was Kamar Baldwin. What was it like just watching him just pull off so many heroic feats, you know, knocking down big shots, especially like the game-winning three at the buzzer to beat Nova at Hinkle for the third time in four years?
1: Yeah, no, he was fun. I mean, you can't get caught watching too much when you're on the court with him, but sometimes you do, you just – sit there in awe of what he does. And uh, he, he was a fun player to watch. He was a fun player to play with. Um, but ultimately, I think he's a really, really, really good person. He's a much better person than he is a basketball player. And in my belief, that translates onto the court and you'll find success if, if, you, if you're like that. And he worked extremely hard. Um, he deserved all, all the stuff that he got and all the plays that he made. Um, And and like you said, he had some miraculous plays and he had a lot of them too. A lot of game winners, but a lot of plays that he makes in the game that we wouldn't win the games if he wasn't making those plays. So um, again, he, he was a fun guy to be around um, and he was a, a really good basketball player and he was, he might be the most clutch basketball player I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. I mean his knack for hitting big time threes and it was only appropriate that the last game he ever played in, he hit a game-winning three to beat Xavier in Cincinnati, and what I remember was the real story of that game being even after hitting that big shot, he still stayed late in the locker room to help clean up trash. Like,
1: like exactly, he, that's him.
0: That's that's just Kamar, and like so. Take me back to the Big East tournament, uh, the week of March 11th and 12th of last year. Um, so I feel like you had to be watching from your hotel room just everything that was going down with Rudy Gobert testing positive and the NBA shutting down. Like, first of all, just the night of March 11th, there's still biggies East tournament games going on in the building. You're going to be in the next day. Um, mm-hmm. What do you remember from just watching the entire world, the sports world, just blowing up in your face, literally like in real time.
1: Yeah. So you said that was the 11th, the night of the Gobert, that when the NBA shut down was the 11th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we got there. I think we got to New York the day before, maybe, or maybe two days before, whatever it was. Um, But things were kind of starting to turn at that point where you're in New York City, but there weren't many people out. Um, That's when kind of the news was starting to spread of COVID, and, and people were guessing at what it was. Nobody really knew at the time, I don't think. Like, I remember a lot of us walked over to Shake Shack and we were told like, don't touch anything. Don't touch the counters. Don't touch the door with your hands. Um, that's when that was a big deal. And so panic was already kind of starting to set in, I think, and we were hearing rumors on the flight, like they're not gonna let fans into the game. Um, and then we get there and we, st- we know that there's still fans. And uh, that night is when they came out and announced there won't be fans at the games. It'll be limited uh to family members i think um so you still get your four tickets or whatever but there won't be fans and immediately at that point i'm like wow this just changed because to me personally my favorite thing in my four years was the Big biggest tournament every year to have madison square garden sold out um every school's fans are there cheering for them you got the bands from both schools um, the atmosphere is just super special so I, in my mind, I was thinking, like, this isn't going to be the same. This is going to be hard to even play. Um, and then uh, my roommate was Henry Badley. We were sitting in the room when the, the NBA stuff came out. that They were pausing the season, and we looked at each other, and I remember saying to him, our season's over, too. There's no way they're going to let or not let professional players play and then let amateurs play and put us at risk. So I kind of knew that it was over at that point, but then we woke up the next morning, and the biggest tournament was still happening. And there's a game going on and like, this is crazy. My mind wasn't focused at all on the games. It was thinking about that. I'm sure the NCAA tournament's gonna be canceled. Like, what are we even doing playing this game? Um, But we were getting ready to get on the bus and they called us to the team meeting room to tell us that the game was gonna be canceled. I think it was St. John's and Creighton game was gonna be canceled at halftime. Um, And our, we weren't going to play, but at that point, they were still just saying big East tournaments off, but the NCAA tournament's still going to happen. So we'll go back to India and get ready for that.
0: And then I, it was literally within a matter of like maybe two or three hours. So you get halftime right around one o'clock Eastern big East tournament gets shut down. And that's the last domino to fall for the conference tournaments. And then two hours later, you get the bombshell that the NCAA tournaments canceled. Like, did you feel like you were, kind of robbed of actually making maybe even a deeper run than you did your freshman year and your sophomore year too.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, we talked about, we held a players only meeting. Um, I I forget which game it was, but it was before we had our last three regular season games. We had a players only meeting and I said, we're going to win 12 in a row. That would have been the three uh, regular season, three big East, and then six in the NCAA tournament. Um, and I said, we're going to win 12 in a row. We won three regular season in a row. Obviously, Kumar had to make a big shot for it to happen, but we were feeling like we were at the beginning of the season. We believed that we could actually do it. We believed we could win 12 games in a row. Um, so so we're super excited, and then obviously that news, news comes out and it crushes you because in our minds, there was no doubt that we could make a deep tournament run. We weren't even thinking Sweet 16. We weren't thinking Elite Eight. We were thinking we're going to go play in the national championship game. And I mean, again, when people hear this, they're going to be like, you're crazy. You lost eight games or nine games, whatever it was, but we felt like we could actually do that and, and prove a lot of people wrong.
0: Yeah. And you know, n- there's no, no thing that another team fears than a team that's getting hot in March. Mm-hmm. And you guys were just starting to figure it out at the right time. I, I think you do were due for a win against Providence. That was just, my estimation who knows what it it sucks just thinking about the what if but Mm -hmm. can you not help but think about the what if scenario from time to time
1: no yeah I I think you do especially when you first like I mean it's interesting because that day when it the, the tournament was canceled and we found out the season was canceled that was the last time I saw my teammates like some of us flew back to Indiana we had east coast guys that stayed on the east coast Um, But when we flew back, there was no more classes. There was no more nothing. So that was the last time our team was together. So um, we were, I mean, that's extremely hard to just, everything just fall apart like that. So in the time after that, for the next two, three, four, five, six months until I was doing, playing basketball somewhere else, that's all I could think about was what would have happened had we gotten the opportunity. And I think a lot of people probably think that I'm sure every player on every team thinks about that. Like, what if even the teams that were making the NCAA tournament for the first time in however long, like, they didn't get to experience that. Um, and they might have worked four years to get to experience it. And it, it's just sad that nobody got to have that opportunity to go prove themselves last year.
0: Yeah, it became March sadness, like really, really fast, man. Yeah, like, sure. I, You know, I, I basically, I'm like, I can't, I'm obviously sad as a fan, but I can't even imagine what these players are going through. But obviously you got to turn the page at some, at some points. And the next point page for you was getting ready for the NBA. And, you know, I'll be honest, you know, you weren't on a lot of boards and expected to make a splash on an NBA roster. Um, So when you got the call from the Grizzlies saying, you know, you made the cut, like, take me what's going through your mind and just, thinking about all the hard work that you had to put in and all the underestimation attributed to your name to make the cut in that way.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I don't, if you would have asked anybody in the probably in the world other than my family and maybe my coaches, if I would be in the situation, in the position I am now, they probably would have told you, no, you're crazy. If you think that. Um, But um, I, I mean, I worked throughout the summer. My agent and I were in contact. We both believed that this could be an opportunity to get a two-way somewhere. Um, and then the Grizzlies came along. I had the opportunity to work out with them. Um, really liked the coaching staff. Really liked um, their system, and and kind of hoped that this is where I would end up. And you know, draft night comes. I, I know I'm I'm a realistic guy. I Know I'm not getting drafted. So my next thought is, um, am I going to be able to sneak into the two-way and then the Grizzlies call and, and we had been in conversations with them leading up to it, but that's when it kind of became official. Like, we're going to give you a two-way spot and we're excited to have you here. And, um, you know, in that moment, you realize your dream comes true. You're about to be an NBA player, obviously not in the capacity where if you're on this, a roster, but like as a roster player, but I'm still going to get the opportunity to play in the NBA. Um, and immediately my mind shifted to now I have to go prove myself again Um, I've had to do it a lot in the past and now's another chance to go do it so um, got there and and I've been working and and um, gotten the opportunity to play in some NBA games obviously playing in the G League bubble getting a chance to develop my game and and hopefully this isn't the end of it hopefully it's not that I'm a a two-way guy who experienced it for a year or two and then fell through hopefully I can I can last year and play at the highest level for a long time.
0: Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, just the work ethic really just tells me this is only just the beginning, but uh, so in the G league bubble, you know, has it been crazy running into for- some of your former adversaries from the big East and, you know, just maybe if you got an example or two, what, what were some?
1: Yeah. You know, playing, playing miles Powell the other day. Um, and I got to be a part of the Pan Am USA team. Um, in the training camp with them before I left with an injury, but um, got to know them a little bit there. And then obviously played them twice last year. Um, they're a really good team. and and um, But now to play, be playing them professionally is really cool. And just to bump into some of those guys, like you said, that I might not know personally, but just recognize each other from the Big East and just say what's up and, and fist bump and check in and see how they're doing. And, you know, it all that stuff's in the past now. We're all trying to pursue the same goal now. So we want to see the best for each other. I, I would love to see Miles get a, an opportunity in the NBA and go, yeah. and go he, it. I mean, he, I think he, he, speaking
0: enough, he just signed with the Bucks, two-way.
1: Did he? Yeah,
0: he did. So, hey, there we go. He what, Trent, what Trenton makes, the world takes, baby.
1: <laughs> yes, sir.
0: So, I mean, I guess that, that's a perfect segue into my last question, which is, you know, overall, I mean, obviously, your your loyalty to your alma mater is one thing, but – the big East is so much different than any other conference because it really has that family feel. And it's always been like that, even dating back to the old big East. So mm-hmm. overall, you know, what is the big East meant to you um, as you know, both a professional and in, in your own personal growth as well?
1: I think, I think the big East is overlooked severely. Um, I don't think the big East gets the credit that it deserves. Preach. There's a lot of really good teams in the big East um, adding Yukon now just makes it even, even tougher. So I think, um, the big East is overlooked really good basketball players, really good basketball teams, really good basketball coaches. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I can't stress it enough that the big East is overlooked and, um, you know, I, I root for the big East success. Um, obviously I'm always going to root for Butler's success first, but, um, the big East in general, I hope can be extremely successful and um, the connections, like you said, that they'll carry on forever. It won't just be like, uh, we played each other for four years, whatever. Like, the just the little instances, like, hearing that Miles Powell has signed his two-way deal now. That, I mean, that's exciting for me because I played him. I know he deserves it. So, I'm just little stuff like that. I think the Big East is is kind of a family.
0: Yeah, and, like, another thing, too, you know, another guy that I was just thinking about, too, you know, you can't mention one without the other and the other being Marcus Howard. I mean, mm-hmm. you literally got to play against the, the greatest scorer in the history of the conference. Yeah. It, it's absolutely bewildered I mean I mean this is another guy by the way who wasn't really expected like you to get an NBA contract yet he has it with the Denver Nuggets I mean it's it's incredible it just speaks to hey honestly it's just a testament to Big East toughness and I feel like the Big East. if you could add just one last thing is that the Big East just makes you just so much more not just physically tough but mentally tougher
1: too yeah No, you have to figure it out every single night because, like I said, there's really good players. There's really good coaches. But at this point in basketball, everybody's good. You have to do something different than everybody else. As a team, when you're going to go match up with Villanova, you have to be able to bring something that they can't that night, whether it's going to be physically, mentally. Um, You have to be on another level to beat the teams in the Big East. So, um, yeah, I mean, you learn how to become a really good basketball player really quick in the Big East. And you learn that you have to be in a really good mental state to be a a really good player in the big East and a really good team in the big East.
0: And Hey, you know uh, it's been really great, you know, to actually, you know, go down memory lane, you know, from your Butler days. And of course, it's crazy, you know, being able to speak on just the brotherhood that the big East offers, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's offered that historically, literally since 1979, as crazy as it sounds. So uh, Sean, it's been such an, such a pleasure being able to catch up with you. You know, discuss life in the bubble. Uh, you know, it's it's. I think your story is nothing is nothing but inspirational. I, I I just, even as a guy who went to Seton Hall, I I probably heckled you as the student section president uh, for years. But honestly you know, you just want to, you just want to see guys from the biggies win. And, and you, you've obviously done that. And then some, so Sean, thanks for the time to, you know, talk about your Butler career. And of course, uh, you know, your, your early budding professional career.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was uh, fun to talk big East and Butler basketball again.
0: Appreciate, appreciate it again. uh, Best of luck more continuing on with this first episode of the March marathon coming up after this. All right, that is a wrap on this episode of the Igloo. Episode number one of the 2021 March Marathon, and hopefully this March Marathon won't be cut short. Praying to God that it won't be. Uh, So thank you again, Sean McDermott, for being my guest. Uh, It was really good getting some perspective on what happened uh, the, the evening of March 11th and the afternoon of March 12th of last year when the entire sports world, and the the world in general, just came crashing down. Uh, So, Sean, appreciate the insight, and it's really awesome to see a guy like him get the opportunities that he has. You know, those who work the hardest for them are the ones who are most deserving, and Sean definitely fits that category. So, coming up tomorrow, Jehens Maniga. Former Creighton Blue Jay, host of the Jay Podcast as part of the Field of 68 Podcast Network. He is going to join me to talk about his Creighton career and, of course, uh, provide some uh, perspective on what his personal opinion is of the whole Greg McDermott situation uh, back at his alma mater. Uh, He played for Coach McDermott in each of Greg's first four seasons as a head coach in Omaha. So we're going to go in-depth. With him, and I promise you, it's gonna be good. So tune in then tomorrow. Till then, this is Timmy I signing off from the igloo. Thanks for tuning in today, and be sure to tune in the rest of this week. The March marathon is gonna be nothing but great, uh, filled with great interviews, great insight, and of course, great content coming f- straight from the Big East tournament from Wednesday to Saturday. As I will be covering it virtually, bringing you sound bites and my own perspective on the games and, of course, all the press conferences. So thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you all tomorrow.